Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stoke. Aaron Travis, thank you so much for coming back onto the Wavepool Mag podcast. Great to have you back. Well, thank you, Nick. Always enjoyable. Yeah, well, you're in Australia right now. I think the last time we spoke, you were in London, I think, or England. No, that's right. Yeah, we finished our season there. We managed to get back escaping COVID and uh, have been enjoying being based in Queensland since February 2020. Whereabouts in Queensland? Are you up near Yapoon? At the moment, I'm in Brisbane. We're selling a house here and, and our offices at the Gold Coast. So we'll be uh, moving down there in a week or two, but back and forth from Yapoon quite a lot, obviously, with the project there. Yeah, lots going on in Japan, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But could you just catch me up on what's been happening with, with Surflex since we last recorded? Yeah, well, quite a lot. I mean, uh, I think it was October 2019, and since then we did some work on the liner and the lake, and we had waves again through August 2020 and recorded a whole range of new material there. So the uh, the pumped video that we put Yeah, out. I saw that. It was amazing. It was yeah, really it was- good. Yeah, talent did a great job, and all the team that were filming it. It's, um, but uh, yeah, obviously they needed the waves, so we're really proud of the waves that were being produced. It's still only seventy five percent of the machine capacity, but pretty epic. And no, we're really pleased, and it's been very helpful. And so with that, we've had you know increasing inquiries, and you know we've sold three licenses in the US, and just recently we've signed up with Dallas and Tampa, Florida, and there's two others coming at us in the next week to sign on and. We've got uh, Brian Guile, who's joined us as a, not really a sales director, account manager for us. And there's just an ongoing list of projects. He's talking to one group that want to do six across the US, another group that want to do three. So it's fun. We're really enjoying the, the excitement of the new projects coming in. And, and that's just America, let alone South America and Asia and Europe. And generally, the projects that you're looking at are that pretty big within you know, a large, large amounts of land. Generally, yeah. There's one that's a little constrained on the coast, but they'll still be looking at the XL size. So all of them, bar one in Asia, are wanting the full size. You know, we've had a couple of conversations about the standard model, but but ultimately they've all gone for that uh, full size so far. But we know that there'll be more of the standard ones coming out because it just makes a lot of sense for a lot of location. Sure. Because I was just chatting to Damon from Urban Surf yesterday, and obviously they've got a very small model. I think it's about five hectares down in in Melbourne, the total land size. Have you seen any demand for larger resorts, like 40, 50 hectares? Yeah, absolutely. One conversation we had today with a group, 200 and something hectares. I can't remember the exact figure, to be honest. And then there's another group in, I can't say too much, but in a resort area of the southern part of America, and they're... You know, they're wanting to build a mega resort with 4,000 rooms and you know, wow, large facility, yeah. Yeah, so there's quite a few different business models in the surf park realm, aren't there? And, uh, you know, residential or resorts or just walk in and surf like urban surf, I'd imagine. That's right, yeah. And I think for, because of what we're promoting and offering, we're probably having more conversations at that bigger end where they see it as the centerpiece for their theme park or their big resort or the or development. You know, another one on the West Coast is looking at 650 apartments around here. So it's not such a big site, but it's still 
you know, a full commercial and retail perimeter with that whole residential play around it. So they're building a community uh, based around the surf lake, and that's really exciting. So yeah. it's playing out that they're recognizing the value of what we're promoting. And so they like the fact that you can have the waves or you turn it off and you've got a wonderful still water lake with all the perimeter to enjoy. Mm. So that's fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So since we last spoke, you've done the standard lake size as opposed to the XL that we're talking about. What led up to that decision to downscale it? I think it was just the recognition that there are a number of sites still that uh, have constraints. So if we want to move closer into the cities or in, you know, I guess, the northern hemisphere where people want to cover it with a dome, it's just much easier to do. But also, too, if you look at you know what we've got in your pern, even at that scale, it's beyond the ability of most people. So you take it to an area where there's no surf culture at all, it's really no point having overhead barrels. You know, It's going to take a long time before people will be clambering for that. So it makes a lot of sense. So ours, the standard model is really, it lines up against the Cove, um, American wave machines, those type of models where you've got head high waves, but obviously we still have eight breaks in the pool and more of an intermediate focus with uh, one hollow peak really now they can have more if they want and you can upgrade those later but that's really where it sits as a direct head-on for those whereas the xl is a step up okay. in size can we do a few comparisons between the xl and the standard so you know how deep and how high versus each one and, and uh, what's the real size difference yeah yeah if you look at the lake for starters so xl will be around the 3.6 uh, hectare of water whereas the standard is more two hectares of water. And I say, you know, approximately because each design will be a little bit bespoke, but it's in that order. The XL is 12 metres deep in the middle. The standard only needs to be 10. You've got 50 megalitres for the smaller one versus 80 megalitres for the larger one. The power use for the smaller one, because it's a lighter mechanism and it's running on a smaller stroke, you're not using as much power. So for all those things, it becomes a two-thirds scale and two-thirds cost overall. Obviously, there's going to be some differences in different locations, but that's the broad discussion. And uh, the cost? Yeah, so more of the 20 million US versus 30 for the XL. Okay. Again, uh, that's the approximate, depending on your site and what you're doing. But that's, sure, because uh, obviously it's highly customizable. Huh? Well, that's it, yeah, yeah. And geotechnical conditions can vary, and so we'd be foolish to set an absolute fixed cost on a site that we've never seen. So we give that order of magnitude and then work with the licensees to do the very best for them that we can. Okay. And because of your technology, a lot of people have mentioned that there's a single point of failure argument. And how do you see that? Is that real? Yeah. Look, in theory, you could see that argument. I guess the reality for us, when you break it down, and we had this conversation just this afternoon with a big group that um, – if you look at that central mechanism, it's a ship, and it's so over-designed that it needs to last you know, 48 million cycles. So it's, And because we want the weight, you can design it in a way that it's going to last 50 years. Obviously, you need to maintain it. You need to look at corrosion control. You know, There's a few rollers and wear pads in there, but that's about it. There's really nothing that can break in that central machine. So for us, we're very confident in that because it's just such a big, dumb unit that doesn't do anything except respond to the pressure. Now, when it comes to the moving parts, you have your compressors and your valves. And for those, you have you know, triple modular redundancy, if you like. So you can layer all of the compressors, the storage, the valves in a way that 
if anything goes wrong, you turn that one off and you've got more than enough capacity left. And so you can rotate that through. And so we're very confident in the commercial grade of the reliability of the unit. And so that's why we're actually wanting to do a couple ourselves as well as license out the bulk of the other areas. And actually operate it yourselves. Yeah, so we're developing all of the operational systems and the risk management processes. We're working with big groups on that as well to be absolute first-class standard with all those things. So we'll be training every licensee on the operations and providing the full operational package, if you like, so they don't have to come up with anything. So we'll work with them to do that. And then in some cases, we will you know, have an owner-operator status, but um, yeah, we'll cherry-pick some of the best projects for that. But we're doing all of this with the recognition that we will be owning a couple and operating a couple at some point. Because yeah, that's quite different to the other way of tech providers. I think they just seem to be technology providers and that's it. And not many are getting into operations themselves. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your Poon in a bit because, I mean, obviously that's one thing that might be on the horizon. But if you were to look at all the surf tech out there and um, if you were completely impartial, which you're not, obviously. No. <laughs> how would you rank artificial waves out there in terms of surfability? Obviously, Surflex is number one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> comes down to your ability, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not ready for uh, Oki's Peak or the island yet on the own break. So it's quite funny. As the original inventor, and I can only surf half of my waves because uh, I need to work on my pop-up. But very surfable. I mean, and again, it depends what you're looking for. And we talk about this when we provide a, a complete table of all of the factors for surf parks with our clients on what makes a good commercial surf park and what makes a good surf destination. So for me, it's got to be at least a 10-second ride and you're balancing the ability uh, to the waves. So if the beach break, it's, you don't want a, a radically difficult, difficult pop-up. You want something that's easy to get into and navigate. Whereas if you're an advanced surfer, you want a barrel. You want something that can barrel from start to finish or have a section there you can launch an air off. So surfability is a very broad term, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. If you compare the text that's out there, American Wave Machines, if you look at Kelly's, if you look at the Cove, Surfability varies depending on their setting. But for me, there's other factors. There's the wave quality and consistency. And I know that in our case, because of the design, the consistency and quality, you don't get as much backwash. And that's a big deal. And then the wind condition is another one which people have talked about that, you know, you really do want offshore winds as much as possible. And because we can have that many directions, that's a big deal. So, yeah, I think it's such a subjective term, it's hard to really judge. But you look at Kelly's 45-second you know, ride, I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, that <laughs> gives yeah. you a lot, of, a lot of time to do what you want to do. What about size of wave in the future? Because I was chatting to Surflock the other day, and they were talking, you know, we were talking to a guy called Scott there, and, uh, and we were talking about having a 10-foot wave in a pool. Do you think that's ever going to be possible? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I don't want to overclaim too early, but for us, that's in the plans now. So if you look at, I mean, well, we'll put it this way. What we're doing at Yapoon, there's you know, 4.1 and 4.2 metre strokes. If you see the videos that we're putting out, and they're a 2.4 metre face or an eight-foot face now, it's at 75%. So when we get to that six-metre stroke or five-and-a-half metre stroke, it should be nudging that height. Wow. In the same size pool? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's going to be interesting to see how the beach break versus Ockies and the island actually measure up with height because the island is such a an abrupt wave you know it's as it'll be as wide as it is high whereas the beach bait has the potential to sort of 
build up more slowly and rise to a higher peak. So in the modelling, it actually is slightly taller than the others. If you get the right conditions with an offshore wind and it's feathering that right up, yeah, it'll be fun to see what it can do. But that's just on that current design. You know, there's no reason why we can't make a bigger unit and run a bigger stroke. And if, if you look at our XXL model, yeah, it's possible to run an eight-metre stroke on a bigger unit and have 15-foot faces. So you've got pipeline at the push of a button, and that's not a ridiculous statement when you understand the scalability of the technology. But obviously that comes at a cost, that comes at uh, mm. an extra premium, but I think it's valid because when you understand that surfing is going to continue to grow and the ability of surfers, and as they get to that level, well, they'll say, give me more. All right, well, let's get a centre that can do that. Most of the times they'll just run normal head-high waves, but when it comes to a big event, they can turn it up to code red and crack on. So I look forward to it. We can see the big wave tour happening in a pool. Well, yeah, I guess it (laughs) it depends on where you draw the line now of what's actually a big wave, right? So, yeah, it would be interesting to see that side. Yeah, that's really exciting because I always thought it was totally beyond the realms of commercial viability, and I, I suppose... Putting a pool like that is possible. It's great to see that it's possible. Yeah, that's right. And what we're producing to extend that mechanism out, because it's not the biggest element of cost, you will add more water, you will add more ballast, and you'll lose some productivity if you're going to push it on that size. But the only reason you would do that type of thing is for an event, right? You're not going to run it like that all day. So you would just do once a month, you have your code red event and run the biggest waves you can produce. And I just think that would be incredible. That'd be amazing for publicity as well. Oh, that's right. And the next day, you're just running in a small stroke for the primary school children with little waist-high waves Mm. or a mix of between. So, yeah. But we'll get there. We'll get the first one out soon enough, and then I'm convinced that someone will take on that experience. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, So just going back to COVID, how has Surflex responded to COVID? Has it been a positive or or negative? Yeah, it's a bit of a two-edged sword. When... You know, if you go back to March last year, we took the view that it is the, or it could be the biggest economic crisis of our generation. Therefore, it will be the biggest opportunity facing our generation because every government will be looking for stimulus, creating jobs. Uh, you'll have this push on domestic tourism and how do we create new experiences for people? They want construction, they want you know all sorts of uh, opportunities, and so. We figured get ready because there's going to be money thrown everywhere and that's starting to happen already. And so, yeah, we wanted to be prepared for that. So that's why we took the opportunity to just do what we do at Yapoon, get ready with the waves, do what we can on the design. And, yeah, it's, we were it didn't slow us down too much. There's been a few projects that stalled because they just couldn't get government attention or, you know, money has slowed. But then there's others that have popped up instead. So overall, it, because we didn't have any open to the public, it hasn't hasn't hit too hard for us. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And on a smaller level, I think just the efficiency of having meetings with everybody around the world is everyone's so keyed into video conferencing these days just makes it a yeah. whole lot easier. So I mean personally I found that in Portugal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, that was our world anyway, so it didn't change much for me, but it certainly has become more acceptable and people are less concerned about traveling to Australia because they just can't anyway. So I guess the the issue with COVID is it may become an issue for us if the travel to Australia doesn't open up, you know, sometime this year and we can't get people out to test the lake, that could become an issue. But um, it doesn't really matter if we get our first commercial project rolling this year as we expect to anyway. So we think we're okay. 
Okay, so that lake in Yapoon, I mean, it's fantastic. You've obviously been doing a lot of work down there. What are your plans for that lake? Because you mentioned, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, you may want to operate some yourself. Is that going to be an operation that you'll run yourself, Yapoon? Yeah, so we're actually completed, it should be in today, actually, a planning application to get approval to upgrade that as a commercial site. It could be an incredible destination. And so we're putting in for the application. We've got an option on the land with the owner there. So he's been very generous, allowing us to take the option to buy that. And yeah, so that's what we're pushing forward. So we still need to raise the capital for that. But there's a lot of interest from all levels of government. And uh, there's, the only question we get asked is when it's open to the public, because everybody wants to come and surf it. So mm. we know that there'll be demand. And then it, there's opportunity for accommodation there as well. So it's an overall destination package. It's not a major city, so it doesn't have the millions of people that other locations have. But with the region and with the overall business plan, it seems quite strong. We're excited about that. We've just got to manage the cost and bring in the right partners. Yeah, what would it look like if you if, you know walked in and, and would it just be the pool or would you put in some ancillary activities, accommodation? What's the idea? Yeah, so it's really, if you think of an eco-surf camp slash resort model and so we'll start off with the pool and some basic camping and glamping and that'll upgrade into you know 75 cabins and there's space for a full tourist park so camping caravans and cabins and ultimately in in the next stage of development we're marking out space for a hotel overlooking a lagoon which is connected to the lake as well so you'd need to have accommodation there because there's just there's actually not enough in the area it's pretty booming at the moment so yeah it's an overall destination so we want to make it a very natural, you know, environmentally friendly surf destination. And because of the beautiful mountains that surround, it's actually an incredible destination. Yeah, yeah it looks great from all the videos that I've seen. Yeah. And what about tents? Are tents big in Australia? I mean, they're big in Africa where I'm from and they're sort of still getting a little bit of gaining interest here in Europe. But are Absolutely. tents a thing that you'd look at? Yeah, yeah, you bet. So, you know, we'll start off with, you know, glamping tents, the on a deck that's a little higher end, but also for all levels, you know, people are quite happy. And it's huge in Australia, particularly post-COVID. They can't keep up with the demand for caravans and camper vans and tents and uh, anything that gets people on the road. It's it's crazy. They really are they're literally selling out. So, so many people have just taken to the outdoors in a big way. And this actually is positioned right in the middle of that crazy trend. And so the faster, the better, really. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that Yapoon didn't have a massive population. Uh, what's the surrounding catchment area look like regarding population? Yeah, so we'd have to draw a line really for a four-hour drive. You know, it's kind of a rural, regional area. You're only talking a few hundred thousand people in that radius, but you get a number of tourists coming through. It's less than a one-hour flight from Brisbane, and so it's a very easy destination to fly in for a week or a long weekend. Mm. And we have a number of wealthy surfers already flying in in their helicopters to test it out. So, nice. Yeah, need a couple of helipads there as well. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Might as well put in a, very cool. in a full on runway. Well, that's it. Well, there's one across the road. So, and then you've got the airport, you know, only 40 minutes drive away. So, it's actually quite easily accessible. And look, yeah, people are, there's a real shift in that outdoor lifestyle. There's a big shift to the regions as well. And so those areas that you can hardly buy a house or rent a house in that area, it's just so many people are moving away from the city. And so to put mm. this amenity there in what is a gorgeous area, you've got you know Keppel Islands and beautiful rainforest, and it's undiscovered to most of Australia, to be honest, yet alone the world. And so, yeah, they're starting to realize the natural beauty of that whole region. 
Now, I'd never heard of Yapoon until you put it on the map. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we've done a good thing for the tourism now. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, so it's, yeah. It's certainly well known in the surfing world. Yeah. So let's recount some stories of the fantastic people who have surfed Yapoon. I mean, there's Aki and any celebrities and or funny stories down at the lake? Oh, look, I mean, they've loved it. I mean, Dingo, Dean Morrison is the, you know, the recent one on the island. He's absolutely thrilled. And he's got a collection of celebs that want to come and surf it when we open this year. So you can stay tuned for some of that. Yeah, Barton's been down, but because he missed last year because he was stuck in America. Barton Lynch, yeah. Barton Lynch, yeah. He's been big wave riding and had more waves to himself in Hawaii than ever before, I think. So he's not doing too bad. It's been a blast because we've, in August and other times, we've had a series of caravans out there because there's not much out there at the moment. So we've actually hired in vans and tents and people have camped around there and sat around the, the fire and watched the waves at sunset. We had a night surf. So it was just, it was a taste of things to come for us. It was, oh. it was a real surf destination. I loved it. That must be an amazing experience, watching the sun go down with the lights up and having a fire and, and just oh. like really cooking surf. Yeah. It was great. It just felt like, yeah, we've discovered this new break. We're pioneering this whole new thing. You know, it was it was really crazy. So people really have, have enjoyed that. They've they've just loved the yeah, just genuine surf camp. That's what it felt like. But how do you choose the people to come and surf? Are you focusing on surf celebrities or are you focusing or, or just across the board? Yeah, I, look, it's a bit of both. It depends on availability too. So there's still a lot more that want to come that haven't been able to. So, yeah, we think, yeah, the ability to surf is useful to us. So there's, you know, there's a few movie stars who can surf and they can come up, obviously, and enjoy it. But then, you know, we've got um, local media in the ABC and others who want to bring, you know, do a, a focus on women surfing and bring up a bunch of girls who aren't great surfers, but they want to experience the beach break and some of them learn to surf as well. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a collection really, but there'll be a lot more to come this year because Wayne, I think, Wayne Dart, our media director, has 62 or 63 different groups who want to hold an event there of some sort, right, whether it's filming for the brand or bodyboard event. You know, you've got the adaptive surfers. You've got even jet ski clubs who want to come and do jet ski competitions and jumps in the lake. So that's really life-saving uh, groups. So that feeds very well into the feasibility plan because when you've already got what could be one event per week for the first year. That's very encouraging. Does that make absolutely, sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. sounds yeah. good. And what's interesting, I was just thinking earlier, when we looked at BSR Resort opening in the middle of Texas and everybody from around America, you know, from the West Coast and from the East Coast, just yeah. flying in to surf BSR, that's I'm sure that'll be the same kind of thing in Yapoon, but it'll get to a stage where the uniqueness of that will rub off and they'll, they'll probably go down to somewhere else or somewhere as local to them when there are more and more wave pools open. So does absolutely. that concern you as well? We certainly understand it, and so you want to make hay while that sun shines, right, to use the phrase. But then what we also find is this whole wave pool industry, the surf park industry, will be growing more and more surfers. It firstly, fishing the middle-aged tragics like me out of retirement from surfing and, and <laughs> doing it more again because they can, and that's happening a lot. And then there's just more and more people who will learn and enjoy it, and they want to go to all the wave pools, all the surf parks. So we're confident that 99% who don't yet surf, that market will be drawn into it. So we really do believe that there's room for everyone. And as long as each destination offers something unique and different, then it's not just about the waves, it's about the whole package. So the one in Yapoon, for example, is just a wonderful getaway destination. You know, you can have the holiday of a lifetime uh, visiting there, guaranteed surf. You know, there is a local surf beach. So when the conditions are good, you could drive up the beach and have that experience, which is pretty rare. 
Um, you've got tropical islands with coral and snorkeling and then there's rainforest just up there. So you, you can have two weeks and never get bored uh, mm. and surf perfect waves every day. So I like it. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you hinted at what we like to call aspirational surfers, and I think you've you've used that term a lot as well. And um, yeah. did you think these statistics are right? I reckon there's probably about 200 million aspirational surfers in the world, where's that, where there's only 17 to 35 million real surfers. And obviously, when you take all those barriers to entry out of the way and you put them in a pool, you're right, yeah. there's going to be a flood of people coming in. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And look, we're all speculating as to how fast and how far that will go, but uh, it just makes sense. And, and again, it depends on the surveys you listen to, whether it's 40% or 80% of that, you know, the rest of the population. Uh, but either way, that's a staggering number. And if you can provide a, an experience which is sensitive to that and helps them engage, you don't need all of them to take up surfing full time to feed uh, a very successful surf park. Because mm. in the last two years, I mean, it feels like the wave pool industry has got real hundreds of projects around the world have been talked about. Yes. Do you think a lot of that's hype or what's really happening out there? There's always the promotion in order to get approval and funding, right? You're seeing a lot of early claims. And we got excited about a couple of projects before we realized that, you know, this <laughs> they may take a lot longer than we thought. Mm. So a lot of it is pushing for support before it's actually ready. But there's also probably a few others there that we haven't even heard of yet that will surprises with their uh, rapid execution yeah well, i mean i've been working on one in portugal for the last two years and uh, i'm trying to keep it as quiet as possible so i don't know even why i mentioned it but <laughs> yeah no, well there you go but there's a point so there's, there's probably there's probably others like that as well and so what i do know is not all the projects that we're seeing at the moment will go through to completion but they'll be replaced by many others and we just know that in our own discussions yeah we've only announced a handful but there's three to four times that in the pipeline building through and so as they become real uh, we'll have a chance to share them but look you know we, we're, we're being um, a little conservative with our you know exclusivity areas and making sure people have enough market at least yeah, you know, what we give them to succeed very well but those exclusivity areas i think it's quite an interesting approach from tech providers like yourself because you can essentially guarantee exclusivity with your tech but you can't guarantee exclusivity from other people's tech so how does that float about Again, it's finding the balance of their confidence. So they need enough space to at least know that uh, our tech will be um, not competing against each other. And I guess we take the view that our tech is very competitive. So in the commercial realm, with the productivity, the simultaneous variety, it means that they can reduce pricing and survive and thrive very well. And you've got more shoreline amenity and development potential. As an investment package, it actually provides potentially lower risk than the others and then it's just a question of appropriate capital spend so because we're effectively providing four surf parks in one but obviously the cost for an xl is higher than the cost of the others so it's more value but more cost initially mm -hmm. but you, okay. you're kind of future your future proofing is the idea is you're getting you know a big leap ahead so you're not concerned about what other tech will be doing down the track Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of pushback in France against wave pools. Is there anything similar happening in Australia? And, and why do you reckon that's happening in France? Because it sounds like an environmental thing, actually. Yeah, we're not seeing that pushback, but it's not you really in Australia. We've only got the Telemarine and you know, ours at Yapoon, and there's been an announcement by a group on the Gold Coast who they don't have approval yet, but they're announcing one there. So I think, look, Australians just love them anyway, and I don't think there's going to be a problem, provided they are sensible. 
And in our case, we're really pushing down the sustainability path. We want to be adding value to the environment and being very responsible. And we've signed up with Stoke Certified and we want to actually demonstrate that we're good stewards of the environment in our design and construction right through. So, you know, we've got still learning to do, but I think we're on the right path and we're getting a lot of good feedback. And uh, there's groups that are coming at us specifically for that because they want to have big eco-regions and sustainable projects. And there's a lot of money available for that if you are serious, if you're not just greenwashing. So I think the water use is a big deal. Uh, Not every area is going to find it easy to get water or justify that. And then, you know, how you manage the entire development is really important as well. Yeah, I guess there's water and there's energy, isn't there? And um, Yes. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I did mention the energy, but it is a really key one. Yeah, because I know that Wave Garden's making a serious push for energy efficiency. And so how does a Surflake wave stack up to a Wave Garden wave in terms of energy consumption? Yeah, it's hard to compare apples with apples. I mean, at the moment, you have technology providers with claims. You know, unless we could really dig into that and understand you know, what size wave, what length of wave, you know, what is the real comparison. And I know the guys at Surf Park Central are trying to do that, but it's a bit of a slow exercise. So for us, uh, well, I chuckle because there's about four providers that claim to be the most efficient wave park. It's like, well, one of them will be right. I just don't, don't know which one. <laughs> so for us, we're not claiming to be the most efficient at this stage. We're just saying here's how it is. You've got small, medium, and large swell sizes, and obviously there's an exponential energy increase as you go up to the bigger size. But um, we've got the estimate of what we'll produce and the commercial per ride. That's really the important thing is, you know, if you've got a surfer on a wave, what's the cost of that? What is the revenue from that? And what is, you know, including the energy for that ride? And I think that's a good measure. Ultimately, you could get scientific and talk about the length of ride as well and how that all compares. But I guess for us, because the swell's being released and set free, it's one parcel of energy that's producing that. So the length of ride is less critical because it'll be the same, you know, energy whether they get an eight second 10 or 15 second ride if that makes sense mm-hmm. that's the energy measure we use so i know at the moment the head high the six or seven foot face rides is you know 1.7 kilowatts per ride i know wave garden are talking about one kilowatt per ride and others are claiming similar things until we operate a commercial one we don't want to overclaim that we'd rather leave it at that number and, and improve on that as we go which we can do because i know we can have wave energy and then you know, tidal turbines in the channels, and there's a lot of ways of utilizing uh, renewables in that mix as well. Do you think that kilowatt per ride will become the standard? Because it's very difficult to measure, and I know that Dr. Jess Ponting is, is doing a lot of research there as well and trying to come up with a standard. So do you think that'll be the thing that he uses? Yeah, I think so. But because the tech's so different, if you look at WaveGarden, they've got a number of cells, and same with American Wave Machines. So as you add cells... By definition, you'll be adding some energy as well. And so you're sort of putting energy right in. But ultimately, I think it's, you know, what is your kilowatt use per ride? And then you can compare ride length to see what, um, you know, how that averages out across the across the park. It seems mm-hmm. to be the logical thing for me, but he might, Jeff's smart, Joseph's smart, he might come up with a better, a better plan. He is, yeah. We had a long involved chats. I had to keep up, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They don't give people doctorates for no reason, do they? Exactly. (laughs) So, Aaron, what's the next big thing? Where does the focus lie at Surflex right now regarding R&D or anything else? 
well, our business focus is the first commercial project. You know, we, we've got to get one open to the public as soon as possible. Yapoon has one. There's another one in Australia which could move quickly. And um, there's two in America which could move quite quickly as well. So, yeah, we'll know over these the next few months by June which that is. And we're just lining up with our commercial design and all of our systems as if Yapoon will be the first. But if someone else jumps in front, that's okay too. So we'll just juggle that as we need to. So from there, it's refining that and then do another two and another four and another eight, and it'll escalate from there because that's really the only question that people have is, you know, we love it. We think it's the best. Where's your commercial one? And until we answer that, there's always going to be that question mark and a, and a perception of risk. Once we're through that gate, so to speak, it'll take off. But I guess there's all these milestones. You've already got the major milestone out of the way by putting your first prototype out there. And some wave tech providers don't even have a prototype out there. So you you heard of the game, which is exciting. Well, that's right. In that sense, we are. And others have signed on projects without a a big-scale prototype. But um, if you look at the pneumatic systems, a lot of them are pretty similar, so they can see how that risk is taken care of. I guess the discussion we have with clients is there's different risks and different needs for your project. For us, the biggest risk would be putting in a technology that gets superseded, mm-hmm. where suddenly it's seen as good but not great. So we want to be the one that is exciting for the next 20 years that you just blows your mind. So that's really the thing. Well, I'm going to go and watch that pumped video again. Get me, yeah, it gets me all great. excited. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hey, look, in terms of R&D, I mean, we do have a big focus on that. We've got a shopping list of things we want to continue to move in and refine. And it's really all then about efficiency and, and you know, cost reduction. And we're actually talking to groups about financing for projects as well and how to best package that. And so there's a lot of interest around different models, which can reduce the capex and the risk and share that risk across the everyone involved. So that, to me, I think will be a serious breakthrough, not just for us, but probably for all surf parks where you know, there's such an appetite there and such an acceptance of it that it just becomes much easier to you know, access the funding for it because it's still a little early for, I think, the mainstream financiers. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, yeah, so that'll change. Well, great, Aaron. Thanks so much. really appreciate you coming onto the show and chatting to us. And keep Brian and, me and myself posted about, uh, about your events. I'm Absolutely. sure you will do. Oh, what's going on? Absolutely. Thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Nice to talk, Nick. See you again. Ciao. Bye. Away from Meg. For your curiosity and stoke.